This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Lots to talk about today. Uh, we'll get right to it because we've got lots of guests uh, standing by. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, U.S. Uh, missile launch attack into Syria, uh, which happened uh, last night, yesterday. We'll talk about that coming up moments uh, from now. But first, uh, three people are dead and as after a truck has crashed into an apartment store in central Stockholm today. The Swedish Prime Minister says that it is a terror attack. To talk more about this, John Thompson is with us, Security Consultant, Strategic Intelligence Group, and is with us now. Hello, John. How are you today? Not too bad yourself. Fine. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Boy, this is turning out to be a very complicated 24 hours. Uh, what can you tell us about what happened in Sweden? Uh, nothing uh, too much. I mean, it's still uh, early hours right after uh, the incident, but it looks like somebody took another vehicle and used it to commit homicide uh, for the jihad movement. Uh, do you think this has any relation at all to what has happened in Syria? Any retaliation, that sort of thing? Well, uh, it, then they would might they might have gone after the uh, the U.S. consulate or gone after the Syrian embassy uh, or the uh, the Russian embassy or some other appropriate target. But this was a department store. This was focused at Swe- uh, Swedes. But it's hard to uh, see the connection, and uh, I think. Uh, the attacker was, you know, planning on going after Swedish citizens and probably had been for a while. So you think these two attacks, uh, this attack is purely purely coincidental to the other? Yeah. Normally, uh, terrorism doesn't move that quickly. It's normally not that responsive. So uh, how, what is the reaction in Sweden to this? Well, the, uh, the the government is pretending shock, and we'll probably see things fall into the... Uh, uh, the usual sort of news cycle of uh, uh, notes of condolence and public solidarity, and then tomorrow it switches over to uh, the reminders that Islam is a religion of peace, then mm. to you know, watch out for backlash against Islam, followed by the, the fourth point is when the Salafists start manufacturing incidents that provide evidence of a so-called backlash. Um, there is a wide split, the same wide split that we're seeing in France and England and the United States, sometimes in Canada now, uh, and elsewhere in Western Europe, is also occurring in Sweden, where <clears throat> the Swedes can see for themselves what's been happening in neighborhoods of Stockholm or in Malmo, uh, and are not playing the multicultural game anymore. The, the public has been withdrawing their tolerance for a while. So why do you think this happened in Sweden? Um, we don't normally associate that with being a hotbed of terror. It's uh, a hotbed of uh, migration, especially from many of the, the undocumented migrants. And uh, um, if you've been looking on the Internet, the, the reports of complete chaos and unrest on the streets have been coming out of Malmo and yeah. Stockholm for years. Uh, and also last year... Uh, when the mass movement came out of, through Turkey into southern Europe, the Swedish government started to volunteer its willingness to take on uh, uh, migrants. You, you actually found a situation where Swedes would go out. If a facility had been designated as one that was going to be used to receive migrants, Swedes were going out at night and burning them down. Tensions in the country are rising very, very fast, and the official news has been ignoring it. Do we know anything about the person involved in this attack? Not yet, uh, other than it seems to be a terrorist attack and he seems to be associated with the, the jihad movement. Well, we'll have to wait for more details later. 
Uh, no word at this point whether it's a domestic terrorist or not. It's well, this sort of vehicular homo- uh, homicide is very much domestic terrorism. It doesn't require international organization or, or much in the way of it to launch. All you need to do is find somebody who's committed to launching an attack, give them a vehicle, and uh, perhaps a little prep work, um, which is where the, the time delay comes in on uh, finding a suitable target, finding out how to get there, and then how to use your vehicle to best effect when you launch the attack. You talked about how Sweden, uh, there's been a movement growing of late that uh, people are dissatisfied with what's been happening and, and right the way across Europe. Where does this leave the discussion? Nowhere pleasant. Um, I, I think uh, the reluctance of governments to actually squarely address the issue uh, is, is leading to a major value split inside our populations, and we haven't found a way to resolve it yet. And we know what the sort of split that can result in, you know, extreme political parties, violence in the streets and everything else. Uh, I can't let you go, John, without asking you your thoughts on what happened uh, in Syria and and how that changes the world discussion. Well, I still have reservations about what actually happened in that, that Syrian town. That uh, uh, I would be more prepared to accept the Syrian government's explanation for what happened than the ones the Americans have bought into. But I, I will say this. This was President Trump's first exercise as commander-in-chief, and there was a couple of things I found interesting. Uh, one is that uh, you know we've been told he has a strong sense of empathy, but I hadn't, you know, we've been told that. But it was on display uh, when he was talking about the nerve gas attack. That appeared to have genuinely upset him. Mm-hmm. Um, and empathy is a trait that sometimes is to be welcomed in national leaders. The other thing is he made his mind up really quickly. His predecessor talked a lot and did much, uh, but Trump sat down with military planners, went over the operations, very cleverly let the Russians know uh, so that there would be no accidents, um, also that casualties on the ground were minimal, but he delivered a very firm uh, message about America's willingness to tolerate the use of chemical weapons. It's just that he may have delivered it to the wrong party. Uh, what? Uh, how do we explain his his change in tone? I mean, he used to say to uh, Barack Obama, "Don't go in there." It was just a couple of days ago. Tillerson was saying that we're they're leaving it up to the Syrian people to decide who their leader is. Uh, obviously, the images we all remember that and watching them on the news and such. But this certainly isn't the first time this has happened, John. No, it's not. But remember, in in two thousand and the last purported chemical weapons attack in 2012 by the by the Syrian government that's the use of you know of nerve gas and, and proper war chemicals um, and the Syrian government said that they got rid of their stocks of Syrian nerve gas in 2013 and if you accept the idea that Syria is responsible for this attack it means they lied um, also of course it's a different leadership now. And this is Trump saying we are not going to tolerate the use of chemical weapons. You're not we're going to hector and scold you. We're going to show you that we won't, won't tolerate the use of chemical weapons. That's a message to a lot of other countries as well. 
You said earlier in the discussion that you weren't sure. I, I don't even put words in your mouth, but you, uh, I interpreted as, uh, did they get the right side? Explain that, and, and who do you think is responsible for this for the chemical attacks? Well, it, chemical weapons um, of a very crude type have been used quite widely in the Syrian civil war. This has normally been uh, using canisters of chlorine and adding them to. Uh, barrel bombs dropped from helicopters or truck bombs, so that when the explosion goes off, you then have a cloud of chlorine gas around. Uh, that's a really crude chemical weapon, but everyone's been using it. Also, of course, both sides in the Syrian civil war are broad coalitions. Assad can't even control his own party militia. Uh, there's his armed forces. There's the resources he's got from Iran, Revolutionary Guard Corps, Hezbollah, and the Russians. Um, the rebel side is just as diffuse. So saying that Assad might be responsible for something is maybe in broad strokes not that likely. But also the rebel side includes, you know, the Al Nusra Front or what used to be the Al Nusra Front, um, who have the capability to make chemical weapons and Saren is not, you know, that sophisticated. What 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 is what was or what is Assad's reaction to this? Has he made any statements publicly on this? Well, the Syrian government's official response is is, is sputtering outrage, uh, but they've also sticking to the point that they were not responsible for the chemical weapons attack, and believe the United States was quite wrong in its decision to attack them. So, does this does this cripple Assad at all? Not really, because, again, the Americans chose um, an air base. They didn't kill very many personnel. I think the casualties were six, but they hit um, SAM sites, radar stations, aircraft hangars, uh, a few aircraft, but not very many. Uh, and I think what it basically did was it was a slap across the wrist, but it didn't really impede serious uh, military strength that much in the long run. How do you think this message will be interpreted? Well, I, th- I think um, Assad might be bending uh, over backwards right now to make sure that none of his people put a, a canister of chlorine in a big bomb right now. But uh, again, he'll be very worried because the um, the rebels might think, okay, they they we succeeded. We've got all sorts of international condemnation for Assad, so let's rig the next incident. John Thompson has been with the Security Consultant Strategic Intelligence Group. John, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Thanks, John. Uh, let's bring in Reggie Giacchini, journalist with Global News based in Washington, uh, D.C. Reggie is with us now. Hello, Reggie. How are you today? Good afternoon. Thank you for taking the time to join us. What's the buzz in Washington today? What's, what's the thought after this? What does America think of Donald Trump now? Well, I mean, the thought on, on Capitol Hill, at least, is what are we going to do next? I mean, there, there are a lot of lawmakers out there saying that this is something that should have been done during the Obama administration. It wasn't done. Now it's been done under the Trump administration. There are some lawmakers saying he circumvented Congress by doing this on his own without, uh, without getting any authorization for it. So there's people left scratching their heads saying if the president made this decision, that's fine. We need to discuss it, but we need to know what the next step is going to be. Uh, and obviously the president playing, as always, his cards very close to his chest. What are the assumptions? Any idea where this does go from here? Well, we don't we don't actually know much right now. I mean, the president's been very quiet. He had that little scrum or that little uh, uh, news conference last night and then made no comment today when he was uh, having a meeting with the Chinese delegation in Mar-a-Lago. 
questions were asked to him, he ignored them. So it's a question of, of, of everybody left sitting there saying, well, where does the president, uh, president anticipate going from this? There are some lawmakers, uh, Rand Paul, one of them, saying that the, the reason that the strike happened was because Donald Trump was emotional from looking at pictures of children that were dying in the streets in Syria. So, I mean, you have some lawmakers questioning, look, did he make this decision knee-jerk because he was emotional? And others saying, well, look, now that this has happened, what do we do? Uh, allies seem to be viewing this in a positive light. Yes, there are some world leaders out there from Israel, from Germany, from the UK, from Canada saying we're backing Donald Trump. Uh, this is this is something that should have been done and we're OK with what he did. Words are being used very carefully. If you look at the statement from the prime minister this morning, uh, it said that, you know, Canada supports the limited and focused action uh, that uh, that the U.S. carried out right now. So, I mean, th you have leaders saying, OK, this has happened. We don't need to get ourselves into an all-out war. We don't need to get ourselves mixed into a civil war that's going on in Syria. But Donald Trump does seem to have a little bit of support in trying to deal with the Assad regime. Do you think Americans are thinking differently of Donald Trump today? I think it depends on who you ask. There are a number of his supporters who've been vocal on Twitter. They've been vocal throughout uh, throughout the news media saying, look, we've, we voted for Donald Trump because he promised to put America first. He promised to make America great again. He didn't promise to take American troops and put them into another country and put us into a conflict that we don't belong in. So he's starting to separate himself a little bit from his base. But I mean, where he separates himself from one side, he's going to pick up supporters on the other side by saying, you know, look, this is stuff that should have happened three or four years ago and didn't. You're the person who's now getting it done. Where do you think this leaves relations with the United States and Russia, especially considering, uh, you know, the way Trump has viewed all of this? Well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of strain on relations right now because you have to remember that Russia is inside Syria for two different reasons. They're backing and propping up the Assad regime. They're, they're uh, strengthening the, the air defense uh, forces throughout Syria. They're also in the country with a pact with America to try and eradicate the so-called Islamic State. So, I mean, you, you have Russia doing two different jobs in the country. You have America in there kind of ticking Russia off by carrying out this, this missile strike last night, and Russia now saying, look, this is an act of aggression. Now, apparently, there are reports that they want to pull out of the pact that uh, they were in with America to help you know, get rid of ISIS in the country. So, I mean, relations were already strained as they are. And now we have this going forward with very few words coming out of the White House. Is an attack on Assad an attack on Russia? Well, you're going to have Russian personnel that or personalities that believe that. I mean, Russia's in there to back up the, the Assad regime. That's been their whole you know stance from day one because they're linked with each other. If tr Donald Trump goes in there and carries out this attack, is it an attack on Russia? Well, it's an attack on Russia's interests in that country. So, I mean, you, you, you run the risk of there being this kind of proxy war between the two countries inside Syria based on what happened. How does this change things in Syria today and moving forward, do you think? It's it's this is going to be a, a big question that the Congress has to look at and that the president and his National Security Council has to look at, because you can carry out an attack in the in the country, drop a couple of bombs and sure you might have blown out a, a runway to stop chemical attacks from happening again. Does that do anything to the Assad regime? Does he sit there and say, well, guess what? I'm going to try another attack. I'm going to carry out another chemical attack and we'll see what happens now. This is a question that is you know, the very first few words have been put out there, but no answer exists yet. Many talked uh, how it would take a world event before similar to this before we would uh, before we would see President Donald Trump being put to the test. Do you think that's what's happening now? How important is, is his reaction to this in the states? Well, I mean, you, you, Congress and, and lawmakers alike, along with the U.S. population, is going to look at this and say this is a first step. 
we need to get everybody backing, you know, into getting all their ducks in a row, basically, to say this is how we're going to deal with the situation in Russia if we choose to put ourselves into a civil war. There are others saying that this was simply, uh, you know, a way to test the waters because he's been very vocal about North Korea as well. And if Donald Trump is, is you know, quick to react when it comes to things like Syria and drop a couple of bombs on the ground, is he, you know, going so far as to say, well, I'm not afraid to do this in North Korea. And now that he's with the Chinese president right now in Florida, he may be trying to buddy up by saying, look, we can get this job done. Obviously, America very divided on Donald Trump, as you mentioned, depending on who you ask. Are they as divided as his with his response to this? Are there majority supporting, majority not? It, again, it's kind of a split thing Still right here. Even right, right down yeah, the middle? Right. Well, I don't know if it's right down the middle, but you're seeing a lot of his supporters come out onto Twitter and say things like, look, we didn't put you in power to, to yeah. do this to America. But, I mean, you also have Democratic lawmakers who are saying this was a, a response that was appropriate. So, I mean, it, the, the line is kind of diagonal, and it's people that you don't really expect to be on either side of it. Reggie Giacchini has been with us, journalist with Global News based in Washington, D.C. Reggie, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring in Stephanie Carvin, Assistant Professor, International Affairs, Carleton University, and with us now. Hello, Stephanie. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Your thoughts on uh, what the president has done in the last 24 hours? Well, it's actually quite a shift. I mean, throughout the entire election campaign, and really in the last 75 days of his presidency, Donald Trump has taken the position that he's not interested in removing Bashar al-Assad. He's more interested in focusing on the Islamic State. And in fact, last week at the United Nations, the U.S. Representative Nikki Haley stated that, you know, we are not interested in removing Assad. And yet, uh, follow in the wake of this chemical attack, within 72 hours, we've seen this remarkable shift in U.S. foreign policy that I don't think that either Putin or Assad or really any U.S. allies could have anticipated. Uh, how do we explain this? As you mentioned, he would tweet Barack back in the old days saying that, uh, you know, don't go near it, stay away. Now all of a sudden he sees images, and we all know how horrific those images are and, and of course, the impact that they made on the world. But this certainly isn't the first time. Why the change of heart? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think there's probably two factors at stake there. This is somewhat conjecture, but if I was to make an assessment, I would say in the first case, I mean, the images were horrific. Um, they are absolutely terrible. Yeah. And, you know, you have to think even Donald Trump can be moved by that level of suffering, um, you know, with families losing 19, 22 members. It, it was really remarkable. And it really, you know, out of all the things you can do in this, you know, international world of ours, using chemical weapons is definitely one of the worst. Um, and the second thing is having, you know, berated Barack Obama um, for, you know, sometimes saying he should, sometimes saying he shouldn't, should go to Congress, shouldn't go to Congress. He was hardly consistent on the issue. Um, I think he wanted to kind of point at his predecessor and say, look, you did not do anything. I'm going to do something. And he just went ahead and did it without asking Congress. So, you know, that seems to be the most logical explanation for why he went ahead. But, you know, it, it, I'm not sure we'll know. How do you think the rest of the world views Donald Trump today? That's a really interesting question. I would say in the first instance, we've seen, uh, at least among U.S. allies, uh, a lot of supportive statement of the action, frankly, that they've said, yes, you know, this was a horrific attack. And finally, Bashar al-Assad is going to pay the price for, you know, even a minimal price for, you know, his brutal actions in, against Syrian civilians. 
But I have to think in the long term, this is actually going to be problematic. I mean, again, when you do such a major policy shift within a 72-hour period, um, you know, that sends a sign to your allies and your rivals, really, that, you know, you are not necessarily sticking to your guns on certain things, that you are willing to actually, you know, change your mind. So to what extent can we depend on the United States, who, let's face it, is kind of a global leader in all of this, um, to what extent can we expect them to keep stick to their policies? To what extent can we understand their priorities so we can react to it? And how well will they keep their promises? So, uh, so yeah. as a result, does he look more presidential or reactionary after this? That is an excellent question. I think a lot will have to do with how Congress perceives this. He did not go to Congress to ask for support. And we've seen some senators, Senator Rand Paul, for example, have described this action as unconstitutional. And Senate Democrats have also raised concerns about whether or not Congress should have been informed. Um, but, you know, and, you know, you always look presidential when you hit the launch button. That's just um, a fact. You know, we saw the footage coming out of, you know, missiles going from ships and, and Trump making that announcement at Mar-a-Lago. So he does look to a certain extent presidential. But, you know, like I said, a lot of it's going to depend on the long-term impact of these attacks and, again, also how Congress perceives it. Uh, Because he did not consult Congress, uh, is he still creating a lot of his own problems or will he by reacting this way? That will remain to be seen um, in in two ways. One, if this is a one-off, I think he might be okay. But if we see multiple numbers of these attacks, uh, in the future, not necessarily in um, uh, Syria, but let's say, you know, they're also, they've stated quite bluntly that all options are on the table for North Korea. So if the United States suddenly decides to launch attacks on North Korea, and quite frankly, they just might at this point, um, and Congress isn't informed, I think they're going to start wanting to, to push back pretty hard on the president. It should make the meeting with China very interesting. Yes, uh, President Xi, who's at Mar, well, he's not staying at Mar-a-Lago, but he's staying in the vicinity. I mean, he's had a front row seat to all of this. Yeah. And uh, you have to wonder what he's thinking, because the United States has basically told China that they want their help in helping to curtail um, North Korea's active nuclear program and evolving nuclear program, frankly. So you have to wonder how this is going to factor into Xi's calculations. Hmm. So where does all of this leave U.S.-Russian relations? I mean, you know, the first part of this presidency, all we heard was Russia, 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 his love affair with Russia. Where does this leave everything? That's interesting. I strongly suspect that what we're going to see is a lot of um, bellicose rhetoric coming from Putin in the next week or two. Uh, Rex Tillerson, who's the Secretary of State, is actually on his way to Syria, uh, sorry, to Moscow next week. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But by and large, if Putin is smart, and I don't like calling him that, but he is definitely uh, clever, um, he will probably look at this as what it is, a one-off attack uh, on an airbase that lasted probably five minutes with 59 missiles that conducted some damage on one of many of Assad's airports. So it didn't really overall damage the Syrian capacity to engage in, uh, you know, kind of horrific crimes against their own people. So I think, you know, they'll say, they, they've said that, you know, this is a blow to U.S.-Russian relations. And they've already called it an act of aggression. But by and large, I think, you know, this will be a rhetorical response. And so long as you know, they perceive this as a one-off. I don't necessarily think that Russia will do too much. So an attack on Assad is not an attack on Russia? 
No, it's an attack on a Russian ally, which is a different thing. Hmm. Yeah, because we know how much they value those. Yes, exactly. <laughs> can, yeah, until you turn around, and then until all of a sudden. Turn around. So yeah, I think, like I said, like you know, I mean, uh, there's there's certain constants in Russian foreign policy. I, it, you know, they've always want a sphere of influence. They think they have a right to control Eastern Europe and other parts, uh, and they've always wanted warm water ports. And I think that, you know, Russia really sees Syria as its main kind of anchor in the Middle East. So, you know, there's, let's not, let's, you know, not pretend that Putin woke up this morning and was particularly happy about what has occurred. But at the same time, I mean, I think if he's smart about it, and I don't see why he wouldn't be, um, that he will um, see this as, okay, this was a one-off attack punishing a fairly brutal uh, dictator. He may interpret this as a signal that Donald Trump wants um, Putin to kind of start reigning uh, Bashar al-Assad in. And yeah. then, um, you know, who knows what will happen uh, at the uh, summit next week, but uh, Tillerson might be paying the diplomatic price for this in the short term. Has Trump basically said this ain't Barack Obama's America anymore? Uh, pardon me, sorry? Has President Trump said this isn't Barack Obama's America anymore by this action? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I would definitely interpret this in that light, you know, when we were talking about his motivations going forward, that, you know, in, in conducting this attack, that, you know, not only was he probably actually genuinely upset at, you know, what is a horrific crime, but, you know, I think he did actually want to make that point of saying, hey, look, Barack Obama didn't act, I did. So you pay attention, world, and you know this. Um, and, and this is, but, but, you know, the overall problem here, again, is that he's showing himself to be really unpredictable. I mean, I think allies were given a one to two hour warning that this was taking place. Um, and you have to wonder how, you know, if, if you can't predict what the United States is going to do, it's really hard for a country like Canada, which is so dependent on the United States and how it acts in the world. It, it really is hard for us to kind of have a coherent foreign policy on uh, these kinds of things. It, it really, you know, there's a, I bet you there's a number of people scratching their heads right now uh, at their, you know, at the Prime Minister's office or at Global Affairs Canada. Uh, that being said, that's pretty much been the mantra for Donald Trump, has it not? I mean, he enjoys the art of confusion. He enjoys keeping keep people uh, off their step in, in order to, uh, you know, in order to portray his own message. So this is this just goes hand in hand with how he ran his campaign, his campaign does it not? I think it's how he ran his campaign and how he ran his business. And while he was successful in the former, he wasn't particularly successful in the latter. And I don't think it's a good way to run international affairs. The United States is not a business. Uh, you, you need, a, you know, you are the global leader and the kind of system of international order depends on people understanding how you're going to act in the world. Now, there's people like Bannon in his office who seem not to care very much about that, uh, although he was uh, promptly kicked out of the uh, National Security Council this week. So I'm not entirely sure what that means. But in the end, you want to have a global leader that you can kind of anticipate how they're going to be reacting to certain moves in the international system. And when you can't, you know, it makes it hard for people to know what, if their actions are going to provoke or not, or, you know, what the kind of response is going to be when you, when you go forward with certain actions. So, you know, I actually worry that in the long-term consequence of this is actually going to be further paralysis in Syria. Hmm. Because right now, I'm not sure if anyone knows what U.S. strategy is in Syria. On the one hand, Trump seems to be suggesting that he was linking the use of chemical weapons to undermining U.S. security. But at the same time, the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, basically pulls out a statement that says our policy in Syria yeah. has not changed. 
So what so, does this mean? What is our policy in Syria going forward? And when there's that level of uncertainty, it makes it really hard to develop an international coalition that would be necessary in order to implement some kind of uh, ceasefire and eventual political settlement. Uh, Stephanie, we don't have much time left here, but what what happens if if Assad is removed? What's what's next? I mean, we, we remember what happened after Saddam Hussein was removed. Is there a plan B, C here? I mean, is there what happens after he is gone if that's what they're what they desire? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Again, um, one, there's no good options in Syria. No. If we can just put that on the table. Uh, you're right. The risk is that, you know, ultimately we, we end up with an Iraq-style situation where there's just intractable conflict. But we have intractable conflict there now. And part of the problem is that the uh, non-extremist rebels who are a part of this are saying that they will not negotiate so long as Bashar al-Assad is in power. Mm. And so long as that is the case, that war is going to continue. So, you know, removing him might actually cause more problems, but we're dealing with so many problems there now that I'm not sure it's a realistic impediment. How can it get much worse? Good point. Stephanie Carbon has been with us, Assistant Professor of uh, International Affairs, Carleton University. Stephanie, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, We're going to bring in Michael Tobe, a former speechwriter for Stephen Harper and columnist. First, let's listen to what our prime minister said in regard to the uh, launch of missiles into Syria. We don't know uh, exactly who is responsible for this one, but we do know that the Assad regime has been responsible in the past. Uh, for chemical weapons attacks against civilians. And I think it's important to uh, repeat that at this point, uh, we have to uh, acknowledge that uh, states that have been supportive of the Assad regime uh, certainly uh, need to think about uh, their responsibility in the ongoing conflict uh, in, uh, in Syria that is taking so many, uh, so many lives. Michael Tope is with us, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper and on the line now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm good, Scott. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. How does the world view Donald Trump today? Uh, So far, I would say that most of the reaction, if you're at least looking at democratic nations and countries and leaders, has been overwhelmingly positive. And it's logical, because what Mr. Trump did yesterday, which was probably the finest and boldest move in the past, well, 11 weeks, although he says 13, it's 11 weeks, as as President of the United States, he actually did something quite unique. He actually switched his foreign policy position on Syria, and possibly for the rest of his administration, we'll see how it goes, he took a very decisive action against Syria, did not cause World War III, as some of the, the lunatics have been saying recently, but basically he basically went after the Syrian regime, that being Bashir al-Assad, and said that you cannot use chemical weapons against your own people, which Mr. Assad has been doing for more than seven years. Not just always with chemical weapons, but a variety of other attacks. You can go on Google and look them all up. They're extraordinary how many there are. You know, some reputable, some not, but there's a lot there. And for that reason, basically, the United States is directly saying, and President Trump is directly saying, I'm not going to put up with this any longer. You know, this is a different regime in power in the United States. This is not Barack Obama, and we're not worrying about a red line. Basically, what he says, you've crossed the line, and we're not going to put up with it any longer. And the good thing is, most Western nations so far who've issued releases, and it's kind of sad that Canada was one of the last ones to do so, most Western nations have been strongly in support of Trump's initiative. 
Uh, obviously, uh, some are saying he, well, he has flip-flopped on this in the sense sure. that during the Barack Obama days, he was very vocal about uh, not America not going in. Tillerson just a few days ago saying, we're going to let them settle it. It's not up to us. Uh, then, of course, he sees those horrific images right. uh, on television, which, you know, everybody's reacting the same way to those. And now, all of a sudden, this. Um, it's not that this is the first time this has happened. I mean, there's no. certainly lots of proof of Assad and uh, the way he's treated his people. How does he explain all of a sudden this change in policy? You know, uh, there could be a lot of machinations behind the scene that we could sit here and spend the next hour discussing and everything could be wrong. I think what did happen was that those images, especially of those children, or as he called them, beautiful babies, I think that hit him right in his gut to some extent. Well, people always say, well, politicians are all fake. They, you know, they don't believe in anything. They just do whatever they want for power. There are certainly people like that there. Trust me, I've been around for in politics more than 25 years. It's true. There are a lot of people like that. But there are some people who really get very emotional because politics is full of emotions, and sometimes a world leader will sort of use their hearts rather than their heads to actually go through with something. In this case, those graphic images, and they are horrifying to look at if none of your listeners have actually searched them out. They're just they're terrible. They're yeah. worth looking at, but they're terrible. Mm. I think that really got to him, and I think that even if privately Mr. Trump has always felt that Assad was a bad person, couldn't necessarily be trusted, but that the main issue was really terrorism, that's being ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad, all of which are entrenched, by the way, in Syria right now, and that's what he wanted to make the main focus on. I think this pivot was caused by the fact that he graphically saw these images and realized that, you know what, ISIS is still the main issue, but Assad has to be dealt with, and there's no question about that now. I think that's how they're going to make the change, that sometimes an image can have a very penetrating effect, a very stunning effect on the way a person views the world or even just views another person. And this, believe it or not, may be one of those cases where Trump's, and Trump, who is not ideological to begin with, switched his policy because he didn't like what he saw as a parent and as a human being. So is that presidential or reactionary? You know what? Sometimes there is a reactionary component to being a president. You have to sort of tie the two hand in hand. And some, I know people are coming out and saying, well, that's not the way to run a government. It's not the way to run a country. And by and large, you're absolutely right. But in times of war or in times where you see terrorist attacks or in the Syrian government's case, the way they actually attack their own people and have been doing so for seven years or so, it really sort of comes up to the point that, yeah, maybe it is a reaction to something that just happened a few days ago. But they obviously are privy to a lot of secret information that you, I, and others will never see. There's a lot of stuff that floats around. Some of it's legitimate, some of it's not. But I assume that they gathered up enough of their intelligence forces, and Mr. Tillerson has certainly been a very capable Secretary of State, believe it or not. And actually, I think everybody worked together, including Mr. McMaster, the NSA director. And I think they just reached the conclusion that based on the information they had, privately and based on the public information that you, I, and others have been able to digest, that it was clear to them that Assad and not ISIS was behind this attack. 
So maybe it was reactionary to some degree, but I think he actually, at least for the first time in, in my instance, Donald Trump really showed that he now understands what he has to do for foreign policy, that he has to be a leader, he has to be aware of these situations, he has to learn about them, he has to read material, and I think this may be finally an example of him doing so, and he has to show the world that if the United States is really going to be great again, so to speak, they also have to play a role in ensuring that terrible human beings and evil forces like al-Assad cannot be allowed to continue on a regular basis. It's fine to head, hide your heads in the sand and say, this is not our business. It is our business. It's the world's business. Many said uh, when his presidency started, wait till a world event happens, then we'll know. The first few weeks have been unconventional, to say the least. Some sure. would say a circus. Does this yeah. change people's perspective of Donald Trump? Well, I'd even call it a circus, so yes. Mm. <laughs> but uh, it, does it change people's perspectives? I think today, yes. We don't know what tomorrow will look like. and That's, <laughs> that's true, the, too. That's the problem with Donald Trump. Each day is a little different. But yeah. yes, today, I think a lot of his critics, including Hillary Clinton, Chuck Schumer, and various other people, even people who are Republicans, Marco Rubio, uh, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, and others, they're all at least thinking, you know what, on this one issue, there's something for us to work together on. At least Donald Trump is marching on the same road that we are, and we've got to be proud of that, and we've got to be pleased with it, and we've got to keep working to ensure this continues on. Also, it should be noted that there are some power struggles going on in the White House. A lot of American publications are reporting that Jared Kushner and Steve Bannon are basically sort of at loggerheads on most issues today. And if that's true, and we don't know to the degree, but if that's true, it's clear that there is some sort of a power shift occurring in the Trump administration, and it could change things, you know, not overnight, but over the next six to 12 months, with some of the people who brought Trump into power leaving and others coming in who think a little bit differently, act a little bit more responsibly, like an H.R. McMaster and various other people. Mm. So we could be seeing something very, very unique happening right here. But yes, I think that certainly in the United States and across the world, it's very hard to believe that most people who believe in democracy, freedom, liberty, and basically all sorts of different types of human rights and issues that we hold near and dear to our hearts, it would be hard to believe that no matter what your feelings are about Donald Trump, you, you're not standing with him today. You All right. Be. Real quick, Michael. Yep. Uh, I know uh, this is a hypothetical situation, and we know how he reacted in the past, but if Barack Obama was president today, would he have done this? Absolutely not. This is not Obama's line. Obama, by and large, is a pacifist. I'm not saying that he was in every instance of the word. What he did with Osama bin Laden was actually something that I gave him full credit for, and many others did too. You had to wipe out the al-Qaeda leader, and I think he did the right thing there. But no, if you had Barack Obama sitting in power right now, I'm sure he would be frustrated, I'm sure he would negotiate, and various other things, but there is no way on God's green earth he would have done the same thing. Columnist Michael Tobe has been with us, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Have a good day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. This is pretty exciting. Uh, we have two guests in with us now and a translator. Uh, they are both uh, Syrian refugees living in Hamilton. Uh, Mohammed Noor is with us, and you have been here two years, correct, yes, Mohammed? Yes, And as well, Amin Al Shawaf is with us. He's been here eight months, eight correct? Months. And of course, Lena is here as well. She has been a, uh, will be the translator for uh, for them. Although you guys are sounding pretty good, boy. You're, you're coming along with the language, that's for sure. Thank uh, you. First question is. 
is, uh, what's been the biggest challenge for you both coming here and, and resettling in Canada? هلا هو كان اصعب شيء لنا بالنسبه لنا بالنسبه لنا الي شخصيا كانت هي واغلبيه الجايين جدار كمستويات بالنسبه للغه كونه نحن بمدرسه عندنا ما عندنا لغه انجليزيه نهائيا فهي شكلت لنا يعني صعوبه اكثر شيء اما بالناحيه امور ثانيه فما عندنا مشكله كمان ناحيه شغل كناحيه طريقه التعامل مع المجتمع وتفاهم ثقافات المجتمع الموجوده هون هي اللغه اللي باكبر شيء شكلت عندنا نحن عائق وبتشكل ما زال عائق الوحيد اللي عم تمنعنا انه The most difficult challenge for, for Muhammad, uh, specifically and for most of them, is uh, the language. Uh, the language because they really they came from Syria and most of them didn't really uh, have a good uh, a grasp of the English language. So they found that this is the most challenging things uh, regarding employment and uh, getting uh, acquainted to the Canadian society. Uh, this wasn't uh, too difficult. for them uh, because uh, the Canadian society was very welcoming and uh, there is many uh, help for them. Were they sponsored to come over? I'm coming uh, by alone. alone. Mm-hmm. I have a visa, tourist uh, tourism visa. Right. Then I, I'll visit uh, Canada before... Uh, one year ago mm-hmm. as a tourist then uh, i came before eight months uh, as a refugee but alone what did you both do back in syria i'm working as civil engineer mm-hmm. in syria انا بالنسبه لي كنت تراك درايفر and mechanic diesel mechanic Uh, so um, Mohammed came as a government assistant refugees mm-hmm. two years ago, and Amin came as a, he claimed refugee. Uh, he had a visitor visa to Canada and claimed refugee status. And um, Amin is a civil engineer. Uh, Mohammed was a mechan- uh, mechanic, right. diesel, diesel mechanic, diesel and he driver. was a truck driver. So why did they decide to come to Canada? Why did you decide to come here? Uh, I was in Saudi Arabia, <coughs> my contracts, you know, the in Saudi Arabia and this time uh, the economic uh, situation, it's very bad. Mm-hmm. My contract, it's uh, finished and I still there for six months jobless and I cannot stay on uh, Saudi Arabia without residence mm-hmm. and my residence, it's uh, cancelled. Mm-hmm. Then I'll uh, thinking to to come to Canada as a refugee. I cannot come back to my Syria in this case. Why can't you go back to Syria? Talk about that. I have a trouble with the government. I'm before before the uh, the Syrian revolution. I have a trouble with the security. It's security the of uh, Assad region. Mm-hmm. So many times, my uh, if you, I want to travel and or or come back, I want to refer to the security department 
There's issues going back and forth for you yeah, with work. Yeah, few, few what about you, Mohammed? Why did you come over? جيت على البلد لانه كنا نحن بعد ما شبه تدمرت المدينه اللي كنا فيها تقريبا اللي هي اللي هي حمص اوكي يعني شبه تدمرت مدينه حمص او وبعدها اضطرينا انه ننزح او نطلع خلال الضرب والقصف اللي كان علينا انا والفاميلي تبعتي واهلي اوكي سو اي كم فروم حمص which is was all destroyed and we had to evacuate that area and move to another safe place تماما فاضطرينا انا واهلي واخواتي كل مين يعني شرد بجهه وكل مين طلع بجهه حتى ما بنعرف بعضنا بعد ثلاث شهور مين وين اهلك وين فلان وين ناسك فاضطرينا نطلع على الاردن وقعدنا بالاردن فتره سنه تقريبا فسجلنا من خلال عن طريق الامم المتحده المفوضيه. So we all uh, uh, fled to certain areas. Uh, me and my family uh, fled to Jordan, where we uh, up, um, uh, registered with the UNHCR, and uh, then our files were transferred to the Canadian government. تماماً وبعدها صارت طلعتنا عن طريق الأمم المتحدة. لو كونوا بالأردن كمان الأمور صعبة بلد إمكانياته يعني قليلة ما فيها تستوعب كم من اللاجئين الكبير اللي هو مليونين أو ثلاثة فشكل ضغط كتير على الأردن. فهذا الشيء وشغل قليل وكذا فما فيك تشتغل وما فيك كذا فاضطرينا انه نطلع يعني فاختارتنا المفوضيه لكندا عدم حسن حظنا تماما وطلعنا لهوني وهذا الشيء اللي خلانا انه نطلع يعني مع عدم اني ما فيك تعيشي لا بالاردن بالنسبه للاصابه تبعتي انا عندي اصابات كثير صارت اذا بدك تحكي بشكل تفصيلي على الاحداث اللي صارت Uh, so uh, when we uh, uh, fled to Jordan, uh, Jordan is very small country and are saturated with the refugees. Uh, life is very difficult there. We couldn't find jobs. We couldn't move uh, free, uh, freely. And so it was very difficult life for us in Jordan. Um, and we were uh, so lucky that uh, the UNHCR had, trans- uh, had referred our files to uh, the Canadian uh, uh, government. Um, I asked him about his injury and he said that he has many, many um, injuries because he was injured in the war. Do, do either of you hope to go home one day or is this going to be home for you? أنا أنا بالنسبة لي أنا إذا بدي بدي أكون صادق معك 100% وصادق معكم 100% دائما إحساسي ولهفتي لبلدي الأساسي الأم لأنه إذا ما كان عندي هاللهفة هاي فأكيد ما كان روحي ما راح يكون في خير لهالبلد هاي اللي هي حاولت إنها تحميني وتوطني بهالبلد هاي بس بتوقع أكيد 90% أبنائي كان بده يكون ولاؤهم وانتمائهم لهالبلد هذا أكيد 100% I'll be honest with you uh, if I say I don't miss going back home or I don't like to go back home I be lying uh, but uh, I know that's not gonna be happening uh, especially for my children so I really feel 90% that I will be just settling here and, and taking Canada as my uh, my home I mean the same thing for me uh, I'm a twin my twin was Canadian and uh, he passed away in Mississauga mm. my twin I am mm-hmm. uh, very happy to came to Canada in this time. I'm appreciate to all Canadian peoples and the government and I find I found uh, it's uh, very good uh, reception us to us. So you feel welcome here? Yeah, I feel, feel very good. 
What are your thoughts on uh, two questions? <coughs> your thoughts on the chemical attacks that we've all seen the horrific images of, and then the response by the United States in the last 24 hours to send missiles in. What are your thoughts? Uh, regarding ke uh, chemical attack, it is not first one, the first time mm -hmm. they used the Al Assad region used these chemicals. Not Bashar, his father used before, mm -hmm. but s the media was on uh, 1970, 1970s. The media stopped, was uh, spread, and uh, Assad used it, and Bashar Assad used it on uh, 2013 in Al-Ghuta. Mm -hmm. There's uh, 21 بينما هن يوميا عم يموتوا يعني عم يوميا عم يتم قصفهم بصواريخ بالبرامير المتفجرة يوميا الأعداد عم تتراوح بين 100-120 هذا من خلال 6 سنوات يعني يوميا هذا المسرح شغال uh, the chemical bomb is not the only uh, uh, way of killing the, uh, the civilians and the uh, Syrians. Uh, oh, it's, they've been dying on a daily basis, whether it's the, the barrel, the bomb barrels, all th uh, or through the uh, bomb, bombing and, and uh, airstrikes that's happening on a daily basis. يعني السوريين خلال ست سنوات يعني اللي اللي صار عم يشكل عم يعيشوا بحياتهم ضمن دائرة مخلقة ما عم يشوفوا غير عبارة عن خطوط حمراء تطلق من 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 الناس أو الأشخاص المتحكمة أو رؤساء العالم خطوط حمراء وخطوط خضراء ولكن على الأرض الواقع ما عم يشوفوا شيء نهائيا بس خطوط حمراء وجمعيات الحقوق الإنسان وكل جمعيات اللي بتعنى بحقوق الإنسان و وبالهيمة ورايس وكل شيء يعني أنا بتأكد إن استطاعت هي عم تحصي عم تحصي أعداد القتلى يوميا غدرت يعني عم تحصي الأعداد أما ما غير هيك ما عم تعمل شيء عبارة عبارة صاروا السوريين عبارة عن أرقام يوميا مئة شخص مئتين شخص Syrians are becoming as only numbers, statistics, human rights in terms of human rights in terms of of countries that involve. They're only counting how many are dead, how many are refugees, how many are been besieged. They feel like they're they're going in circles, and their life is just being exposed to the world. يعني أنا أنا بعتبر نفسي أنا وضع الأول التجربة اللي عشتها أنا كصورة مصغرة عن المجتمع السوري كله بشكل عام لما انضربت متين وخرجت واضطريت أنه أشرد بالليالي وبالبراري أنا وأطفالي وزوجتي بالليالي ثلاثة شهور تقريبا أنا ما أعرف وين أهلي وين أبي وين أمي راحوا بأي اتجاه وين أخي راح وين خواتي راحوا عندي ثلاثة أخوي وست بنات وأب وأم وعندهم أطفال وعندهم ما بعرف وينه بعد ثلاثة شهور حتى صرت أعرف بأي مكان بأي الدنيا حتى أقدر أتواصل وأطمن أنه عايشين ميتين Muhammad Zanur's story is kind of like a sample of what what's happening on a daily basis. He just referred to his personal story when his house was bombed and he had to flee with his family to the woods. And for three months, he could not find find out where is his the rest of his family, brothers, sisters, mom, and dad. It took him more than three months until to. 
to find out where are they located and which area they, they uh, flood. Oh, my. What are their thoughts on the U.S., the retaliation, and the bombing in Syria? انطباعات <تصفيق> لا كان يعرف طائفية لا كان يعرف طفرقة لا كان يعرف شيء نهائيا ولا بيعرف الناس يعني أنا جيراني ما بعرف شو هو شو بيعبد ما كان يهمنا هالأمر هذا شعب متعايش وشعب شغيل وبناء يعني قادر العمل والإنتاج وإعادة إعمار بلده محمد wishes that the bombing does not stop it continues and to end the misery and the killings of the civilians in Syria and to hopefully to go back to a peaceful country as it was before uh, with no uh, division between them, there is uh, they all live together in harmony and uh, in in uh, unity. I mean, you feel the same way. I feel the same way, but I'm contact with the Syrian people. The last night, I'm on Facebook with all people in Syria. Right. Oh, so many people praying for uh, more and more strike. They hope. They hope uh, Trump to uh, to strike all the air force bases and all ammunition stores. Only they will stop uh, the fl- the flying in Syria, and the people will be very well. Hmm. What do you want uh, Canadians to know about people like you? What do you want Canadians to to understand about <laughs> Syrian <laughs> refugees? Syrian <coughs> 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 وإن شاء الله أنه هاي الصورة بتظهر وراح تبين للمجتمع يعني هذا الشيء أنا متأكد أنه راح تظهر هاي الصورة إن شاء الله uh, he would like to uh, tell the Canadian society uh, that uh, Syrians are, or Syrian refugees are uh, hardworking people. Uh, they are uh, very uh, peaceful. Uh, they they also uh, like to show them that uh, their uh, uh, their investment in bringing them here it will pay back by really working hard and uh, and uh, being uh, productive members of the society. I mean. We will hope to live here in uh, Canada with uh, all uh, Canadian people together and we will thanks for all of them. Very happy and we, we are uh, working uh, well and we are truthful for the country which we lived and drink water and eat bread. Hmm. Uh, إنه بوجه شكر لكندا بشكل عام لحكومة وشعبا وكل شيء يعني على الشيء اللي 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 شعرنا فيه من خلال جيلتنا لهوني للأسف الشديد ما شعرنا مناطق ثانية كنا فيها 
بوجه لهم شكر كثير وممتن كثير عن نفسي وعن جميع السوريين الموجودين هون عن الشيء اللي قدموه واللي عم يقدمه للريفيجي بشكل عام. هي جاست وود لايك تو شو هيز جراتيتيود اند ثانكفولنس فور ذا كنديان جفرمنت اند ذا كنديان بيبول هو شود اجريت ويلكمينج اند اوبن ذير هومز اند تو ذا سيريانز ات از سوتش ا فيلينج اند ذات دي نيفر فيلت ان اذر بارتس اوف ذا وورلد. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, we're almost out of time here. I'm gonna ask you both a question: What you like most about Canada, and not so much? What do you like most about Canada, and what do you like the most? I'm in my life as a truck driver. I mean, I'm used to the normal work. So, for me, I like everything. I don't have any issues with the weather or the brudy. I don't have any issues. Mohammed is used to a really rough because he was a truck driver. So for him personally, there is nothing he doesn't like about Canada. He, he likes the cold. He, uh, he likes everything about it. <laughs> It's great to see him smiling. Yeah. I mean, what about you? For, for me, in generally, it's perfect, Canada. It's perfect as uh, a country, as uh, a people. And I appreciate for all Canadian people and Canadian government. This is my thanks. Thank you so much both for uh, joining us. This has been en- enlightening and I'm glad we did it and we should do this again because I think this is what's needed is uh, communication and, and learning about everybody. Uh, you have met Mohammed Noor and Amin Al-Shawaf. They are immigrants from Syria. Mohammed's been here for two years. Amin has been here for eight months and of course Lena's been here translating uh, and making sure we're all understanding each other. Thank you so much for Thank you. being Thank here. You. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing your stories and good luck. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.